Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our, and hopefully your, amusement. I am your hopping of a host, Gary, with my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Hello. Goldie Ann. <laughs> Hello, Gary. Sorry, I kind of jumped the gun there. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah, in fact, uh, we wanted to apologize for skipping the last couple of weeks, but I really want to thank the listeners for asking about our return. And here we are. Um, It's because we moved into a new house, which did have the advantage that we now have our own uh, studio area. It has some soundproofing, a dedicated computer, a better microphone. All of this together, I'm hoping that this makes the podcast sound better. I think it's great. I have to decorate a little. Yeah, the walls are definitely yeah. going to have some of the cryptids and ideas of past episodes and maybe future episodes. Right. Now, because we are starting over, um, we're going to be focusing on growing of this podcast. So I want to please ask that you check us out on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. These three platforms uh, present their podcasts, and they'll promote the ones that get better reviews or actually have written reviews. So we would appreciate five-star reviews, which is free, as most podcast providers will give those shows those stronger review scores. This would help us grow and reach more listeners. And in fact, I would just enjoy being able to read the reviews on the show. So if you'd like to have a shout-out about what you think of the podcast, we would appreciate the few moments it takes to give a review and a five-star rating for our podcast. Okay, stop begging. Yeah, but I'm good at it. That's true. You are. No. You have them little puppy dog eyes. <laughs> you can't see that, but he looks like Puss in Boots begging. Well, in addition to begging, I also want to put out that we are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't intentionally attempt to scare our listeners. Well, <laughs> maybe just a little scare. But we do want to point out that listener discretion is always advised. And with that, we'll go ahead and begin with today's episode. Awesome. In Loveland, Ohio, there exists a collection of cryptids that have shocked and terrified traveling salesmen, police officers, and even Pokemon trainers for multiple decades. That's crazy. Pokemon trainers? Uh They're actually included in the story. Because this week... We look at the amphibious creatures known as the Loveland Frog. Wow. This actual episode, before we get started, is a little personal for me because I'm also from Ohio. And Loveland, Ohio was close to where I went to college at Miami University. And it was one of the first cryptids I read about as a kid. And so I would gather up as many stories or many versions of the legend as I could and I got a lot of knowledge on it, so hopefully I can portray as much of that as I can in today's episode. But we'll start with today's episode by describing the area of Loveland, Ohio, during 1955. In fact, this was a kinder, gentler time period. <laughs> McDonald's fast food restaurant chain was just starting. The Mickey Mouse Club debuted on ABC. The first ride at an Elvis Presley concert took place in Jacksonville, Florida. And James Dean was killed in a car accident in California. But the highlight of 1955, the Loveland Frog made their first of multiple appearances in Loveland, Ohio. (laughs) 
the highlight. You mentioned Elvis in there. Nineteen fifty five, Robert Honeycutt in the Frogman Wizards. There are multiple versions of this urban legend, so I combined them and presented this part of the Loveland Frog Tale, utilizing the most common aspects. For example, the main character of the 1955 encounter has been told that he was a traveling salesman, he was a businessman, or he was a cook. But for me, our Robert Honeycutt was a salesman, and he was driving along the Madeira Loveland Pike from Branch Hill on his way to Loveland, Ohio at 3.30 in the morning. Sounds like the start of one of my stories. This, it, <laughs> this does have a creepier tone to begin with, okay. but for Honeycutt, he noticed three men off to his right kneeling on the ground as though in a ceremony by one of the bridges that crossed the Little Miami River. His first impression was that someone may have been injured or that these might be some party types having a late night bender. Robert slowed his car and pulled off the road, leaving his headlight shining on the trio. As he climbed out of his car to approach the figures, to determine if they needed help and to get a better look. He was shocked when his better look turned out that the three kneeling men were not human at all, but actually three-foot-tall frog humanoid creatures. Wow. They did not have the expected green skin, but rather a grayish color including the clothing that they were wearing, and yes, they seemed to be having clothing on. Wow. Clothing. In fact, the clothing was described that the frogmen were wearing tight-fitting and stretched over a lopsided chest. This meant that one side of their body bulged at the right shoulder to the armpit. Now, some accounts say that they were wearing only pants and that the lumpy upper appearances was not caused by jackets, but were caused by the creature's actual body. Wow. Other parts in which Robert noticed was that over this hump of a shoulder was an arm noticeably longer and thinner than its left arm. He noticed that the impression of something baggy for the lower form of the men, but the legs and feet were obscured by weeds and brush. Their heads were ugly, resembling a frog's face. Rude. Since the mouth was nothing more than a thin line with no lips across a smooth gray skin. Wow. He described the eyes as appearing normal except for the absence of eyebrows. The nose was missing completely. The heads of the three men were wrinkled with rolls of fat running from left to right over a bald head. Robert continued to watch the three despite their appearance and did not feel as though he was in danger since none had reacted to his presence of him or his car at this time. It was at this point that the middle frogman, who was closest to him and facing the other two, upraised his arms in a ceremonial fashion a foot above his head while holding what appeared to be a dark rod or a stick. A Harry Potter wand? That is kind of what was, that is kind of how many people take it. That uh, jokingly, it seemed that the frog was a wizard with his own magic wand, and that's kind of how I read it when I was a kid. Now, once the frog had completely raised the rod, it started to emit blue-white sparks from both ends, as though it was a magic rod, and that this was part of some magical ritual that Robert was viewing. 
Honeycutt, who was either very brave or very stupid, began to approach close to these creatures. And the frogman lowered its arms as if to tie the wand around its ankles. <laughs> For a long three minutes, the salesman just stood still, too fascinated with what he was seeing to even be afraid. He wanted to get closer, but the time he reached the front of his fender of his car... All three of the little frogmen finally acknowledged his presence and turned to face him. The one that held the magic wand turned and made a slight, unnatural move towards him, as if motioning him not to come any closer. The expressions of all three remained impassive, but all kept their eyes locked on Robert. It was at this time that he felt a telepathic impulse to leave the area. And the next thing that Robert knew is that he was back in his car on his way to the office of the police chief, John Fritz. Huh. Fritz would later state that Honeycutt looked like a ghost when he arrived, but he was sober and sincere in what he reported. The police chief in the department investigated the area, but found nothing to substantiate Robert Honeycutt's claim. Wow. That's crazy. So, we have, like, magical frogs. It... When I was a kid reading this, yeah, it kind of it was during the time that Dungeons and Dragons was just getting started, and so you you would have all these kind of creatures that would come out of those kind of books. So frog wizards was really easy for uh, me to understand at that time, but now when I look at it, nothing says that it that it wasn't actually some scientific device that he was raising in the air and. Maybe it was working, or maybe those sparks from both ends was showing that this device was actually broke. He yeah. could have been signaling for other frogmen, or maybe even for a mothership to come and get him. Huh. Or, if he really liked the story, yeah, he was a frog wizard. Uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if that makes him a Slytherin or not, but... Mm. Uh, That's funny. It is something that you can imagine a frog <laughs> lifting a magic wand. However, Honeycutt uh, reported his story to the police chief, and from there it became a local uh, story that was passed on from neighbor to neighbor and pretty much spread throughout the entire city of Loveland. It even started to spread out to the point where a Leonard Stringfield uh, heard about it. So in 1957, we have Leonard Stringfield's UFO investigation. Okay, UFO, hmm. Leonard Stringfield was a UFO investigator that came across the town's stories about the frogman and then decided to do some very early investigations into it on his own. He wrote a 1957 report stating that this was, in quotes, a case involving a prominent businessman who saw little green men about three feet tall under a certain bridge near Loveland, Ohio. He reported the whole story just like the one I described. However, he added that after the sightings were reported and nothing was found, an armed guard had been placed at the bridge. What? I know. This struck the UFOlogist as strange, considering nothing was reportedly found and there was no reason given for the guards. He explained that his attempts to get any additional details was foiled when the local civil defense unit wouldn't even talk about the incident. Area 51. <laughs> there was there was an impression of a cover-up because Loveland Police Chief John Fritz, who knew about the case, had brushed him off and no additional official documents concerning the case were obtainable. 
It was as if everything that would involve the 1955 incident disappeared. Stringfield claimed that he was able to learn from the people in the town that shortly after the incident, the town was visited by multiple members who claimed that they were investigating for the FBI. Wow. He also noted that members of the Loveland Ground Observer Corps, the GOC, reported seeing a UFO in that general area the night of Honeycutt sightings. Hmm. So, back to what you were saying. Right. So, you kind of get some of the ideas that the Loveland Frogmen weren't actually encrypted, but may actually have been aliens from outer space. Crazy. In fact, UFO sightings in the area weren't uncommon due to the fact that Loveland is close to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, a location that does work on rocket engines and missiles. And here's an extra little tidbit of information for you. Uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was a base of operations for Project Blue Book, the Air Force's program to study UFOs. Ah, so the fact that Loveland had ties to UFOs doesn't seem that impossible and that the Loveland frog being an alien. Wow. At least according to Strickland's report. <laughs> well, the story could have ended there in 1957, but a couple of decades later, we have 1972, the Loveland police and the iguana. Now it's an iguana. Well, it kind of depends. The story has a lot of shifting into it. And let me, I'll start from the beginning and I'll, I'll show you how it turned into from a frog to a lizard. Okay. It started in 1972 on the 3rd of March, where Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on the Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and the Little Miami River at about 1 o'clock in the morning. So this is the same general area where the first... Right. Incident occurred. Now, due to the icy roads in the late hour, the officer was driving very slowly when an unidentified animal darted across the road in front of his vehicle. The creature was completely visible in his vehicle's headlights as it stopped in the middle of the road, staring back at the police officer. Shockey described it as being three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. It was crouched like a frog but stood onto two legs as it made its way off the road to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river, leaving distinct scratch marks on the guardrail. Wow. Now, as any police officer should do, he called in the incident to his police precinct, but his story met with skepticism and ridicule by his superiors and co-workers. Well, yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Shockey got a lot of teasing from his uh, story of the uh, frogman. Three or four, three to four foot lizard man? Mm-hmm. Well, the story did get him a lot of abuse in the station on the 17th of March, 1972, which is the St. Patrick's Day. A second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, would call in his own report two weeks later and say that he had seen an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity as Shockey's sighting. In this case, Matthews had exited his cruiser with the intention of removing what was apparently a deceased carcass from the already ice-licked road when it leaped forward towards him in the car in a crouched position. Matthews unholstered his revolver and fired at the creature. 
He was positive that he had hit the creature, but he didn't show any sign of being wounded, other than stopping and hissing back at Matthews. <laughs> this creature hobbled over the side of the road, stepped over the same guardrail while maintaining a watchful eye on the officer. In the years which have followed this event, Officer Matthews has changed his account of this tale. And this is where it gets a little messy. Hmm. Because Matthew stated that when he told of the incident to an author of a book about urban legends, the author omitted the part that confirmed that the creature was an iguana rather than a frogman. His later versions of what he claimed as the true story was that he had shot the animal and did kill it, recovered the body, and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. Shockey had agreed with him that the large iguana was about three to three and a half feet long and that it was the same creature he had seen two weeks prior. Sounds coerced to me. It's kind of hard to imagine what kind of conversation you have when you call, you know, and you're like, Hey, Shockey, come on over here. I want to show you something. Pops open a trunk and supposedly there's this three and a half foot iguana in there. Now, Shockey said that he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. Officer Matthews believed that the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loose or was released when it grew too large. Once both men viewed the body and agreed that it was nothing more than an overly large, tailless iguana, the body was disposed of without any fairfare or photographs to even support this version of the story. There was some evidence that the creature did exist. There was a sketch of the Loveland Frogman made by the wife of Officer Shockey, Shockley, and there were scratches on the guardrail that showed that something did climb over However, no body or photographs were ever made of the dead iguana. Now, the problem I have with this story is that, first of all, it's a totally different description than the 1955 frogs. In fact, no clothes, no magic wand. This is more described as a lizard or an iguana. So, it doesn't match the original description of the original creatures. Two... It's really hard to believe that someone could have gotten freaked out that a, an iguana could exist in Ohio during the month of March, which right. is still part of winter. Right. The weather is far too cold for an iguana, and iguanas don't grow that large. I mean, it's very difficult for them. They're usually about four feet long, but that's with the tail. Correct. If you take the tail off, it, that's like one third of its body gone. So now you have an iguana that should have been in hypothermia that seems to be able to jump and scurry away from the police officers and is missing his tail and that it's basically four feet long. I was going to say, and it's standing upright. That's crazy. That's, that's, no. So it's, yeah, it's really hard to uh, understand the description of the second one being the way it is. Right. Now, it is possible that, you know, the first one, we have the Loveland Frog, and here in 1972, we have the Loveland Lizard. (laughs) I don't know. Could there be two cryptids in Loveland, or could there be, you know, uh, an iguana that's running around without tails in northern, in Ohio, in the winter periods of March? Or this could be the Loveland Frog, and the first one could be an alien. Again, there's many theories that we'll go over. 
1972 also did have a very small snippet of another eyewitness. Okay. Because now we have the farmer and the toothy frogman. Toothy. Oh, great. I know. That's why I threw that this, this story in. Originally, I wasn't even aware of this footnote, but I recently heard about it on another far better research podcast, the Kryptonaut Podcast. And I thought that it was fascinating as it was in the same time frame as the police officer's encounter with the tailless iguana. So, uh, all credit, it goes to the Kryptonaut podcast, but I really wanted to add this part in. Because an anonymous farmer reported that he saw four creatures while inspecting his fields near the Little Miami River. Oh, there's that river again. Exactly. Now, the creatures he saw had, were having eyes which were large and circular with skin that was pale greenish gray looking from his fields. The mouths of these frogmen were wide but filled with sharp teeth, which is a new addition to the description. They didn't bother the farmer, and he wasn't exposed to any telepathy, but they simply disappeared back into the water. Hmm. And this description matches the 1955 versions much clearer. The way the farmer said the mouth was wide and that it had the bulbous eyes and uh, the way it was glaring at them from the field makes me think of this one more in connection with the 1955 frogs. Yeah. And a lot different than the uh, lizard that the police officer shot. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, if they they had pictures of this one, and you can kind of see the pictures of it with the grayish skin and everything, be like an alien. And maybe that's what it was. He (laughs) He didn't have any crop circles in his yard, though. Oh, dear. Sorry, we missed out on that. Now, we're leaving the 1970s, and everything goes quiet again. Okay. Until 2016, Pokemon Go chooses a frogman. That's hilarious. No. It is a hilarious story. Because it involves two teenagers, Sam Jacobs and his girlfriend, who were playing Pokemon Go between Loveland Madeira Road and Lake Isabella behind a synagogue. Now, while chasing after the virtual creatures of the game, Sam claimed that he saw a huge frog near the lake that was not in the game. He reported that the creature stood up and walked on its hind legs. He took a couple of pictures and a video from his phone, which unfortunately aren't very good quality considering that he was already on his phone playing a game. Most noticeable about the pictures are two glowing eyes resembling the headlights of an automobile. This uh, feature in the photos kind of causes problems of people taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. Because if you take pictures of an animal, even the flash, you get a reflection off of the optic uh, back of the eye. Right. These pictures, it... It wasn't a reflection off of the eyes. These eyes actually were projecting light. Ah. So it makes it makes the animal look even more odd than it should have been. Dang. Now, Sam backed up his encounter with the Loveland Frog by stating, I swear on my grandmother's grave that this is the truth. That's crazy. Which is the standard, you know, <laughs> I am telling the truth statement if there it ever is. was one. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean kind of hard to say okay you're still lying (laughs) when someone is willing to swear on his grandmother's grave now there was some evidence that was gathered from the 2016 because there's video and there is uh pictures taken from it 
And I'm going to post these up on our Facebook page. And I would like your guys' opinion on it. Take a look at these eyes of this creature and tell me, does these eyes look reflective or do they look like they're actually projecting light on their own? Yeah. It kind of looks like headlights. It does. What makes this story even worse is that on the 3rd of August, it was later revealed that a local student from Archbishop Moeller High School was the was the kid in a homemade frog costume and ah. that it was a hoax. Ah. Others still hold on to the fact that even if this was a hoax, it still shows that the interest in the Loveland Frogman is strong. Right. I guess it kind of works there, you know, with Pokemon Go. Looking for <clears throat> the Loveland Frog. Gotta catch them all. Yeah. Kudos now, to that kid. Well, now let's get into the theories. Now, the theories uh, that I like to go with is I always go with the skeptical side, and then I go with, you know... If all possibilities have been uh, reviewed, then whatever is left over must be true. Okay. So first, let's discuss the iguana theory. Okay. First off, the creature size versus iguana size. The creature is reported to be three to four feet tall. The green iguana is four to five feet in length, but that is with a tail. When you lose that tail, you lose one-third of the size. Worse is the temperature. The green iguana requires a high ambient temperature in their environment of a basking spot 95 degrees Fahrenheit to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And the rest of their cage, if they were going to be kept, has to be between 80 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. That wasn't happening in March of Ohio. Absolutely not. Iguanas also need high humidity in their cage, which should be kept at about 70%. This helps to prevent poor shedding and kidney disease. For someone to have dropped off a tailless iguana in Ohio during March, it would have had to have survived temperatures of 45 to 57 degrees Fahrenheit, rarely falling below 31 degrees, but never exceeding 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Dang. So as a reptile, it would have gone into hibernation as quickly as it was released. Absolutely. So, I find it really hard to believe in the iguana theory. It was not an iguana. Now, let's go into the hoax. Okay. Uh, this theory states that, you know, the all the stories about the Loveland Frog are just tricks or uh, pranks that are played onto the public. This gets supported because there are multiple undocumented versions of the 1955 incident. Like I said, there I know of three complete different versions of the same story. Right. Occurring. Plus, in 1957, uh, all documents about that case seem to have disappeared. Hmm. Whether or not it ever, if they were ever filed, or if the mysterious FBI took the documents. See, there's something with that. And like with the changing of the story with Shockley, uh, I think the FBI made him change it. And that's possible because <clears throat> Officer Matthews has remained firm with his statement that it was an iguana since 1972. He even came on to the news in 2016 to say that the Loveland Frog was a fake. Yeah. So as far you know, far into 2016, oh, that means 40 years, he has held true that the uh, 
Loveland frog was an iguana. Yeah. Now, another thing that supports that this might be a hoax is that there was a local student from a high school in a homemade frog costume who admitted that he was the 2016 Frogman. <laughs> so that kind of shoots that version into the water, yeah. and someone actually admits to it. So, if it wasn't an iguana, if it wasn't a hoax, could it have been an alien creature? Could be. The reason I I go with this theory is, is that in 1955... The creatures were wearing clothing, and they were held a rod as if it was a scientific device. Right. Whether it was working or the sparks on both sides means that it broke, we know we'll never know. And also, the 57 FBI investigating UFOs and possibly performing a cover-up kind of supports that these were aliens. Right. 1972 makes the story a little murky because... They don't look alike. But my, I have a theory, and I don't know how widespread it is, but was this possibly a totally different creature, or could it have been a pet of the aliens or a juvenile species of the same Loveland frog? The reason I like this theory is, is because frogs go from tadpoles with no feet, no legs, they basically look like fish, and they basically metamorphosize into an adult frog with legs and everything else. True. So it's not too impossible to imagine an alien frog-like creature having a juvenile form, which looked like the 1972 iguana without a tail. Right. And that it grew into its adult version, which is what they saw in 1955 with the pants-wearing magic wand waving <laughs> frogs uh, that Honeycutt saw. So I kind of like the alien story. That's kind of cool, yeah. It ties them better together. Yeah. This sounds good. Now, I couldn't leave this out. Ah, here we go. I have to put it in that what if the Loveland frog was a magical creature? Ha <laughs> 1955, they was, it was very well described that these were wizard frogmen. Now, it doesn't explain the other incidents or possible cryptid pets, but, you know, it's it's kind of a neat aspect to think of the story as a magic and fantasy rather than a monster and alien story. Right. And it makes for a great Dungeons and Dragons characters. Absolutely. The last one I want to point out is one that I have heard, and it does tie into European legends. Right. Because in 1955, what if the legends of similar creatures in Europe living under bridges with misshaped bodies were trolls? Yes. Now, we're not talking about the Billy Goat Gruffs, you know, clomp, clomp, clomping across the bridge. But there are a lot of stories in Europe of creatures that looked human or misshapen humans that would chase away people. And they had some magical abilities, and they were known as trolls. What if the same kind of a creature looked more frog-like and was living under bridges in Loveland, Ohio? So those stories in Europe now possibly existing in Ohio. Right. Unfortunately, that doesn't explain the other incidences, especially the 1972 creature that crawled over the guardrail. Right. Unless that was a juvenile troll, but I I like to think I like to tie in the old uh, fairy tale stories of you know the European trolls 
into the Loveland Frog. Just just a, just as a wild theory. Okay. <laughs> now, the story of the Loveland Frog is still very popular. In fact, they even made a musical about the Loveland Frog. A musical. A musical. It's known as Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog Musical. <laughs> uh, so like something I want to see. I, I so wanted to see it. In fact, I looked all over YouTube. I looked all over Loveland, Ohio. Um, you know, it was performed as a college fringe festival. And according to the program storyline, the Hot Damn, It's a Loveland Frog Musical is a story about something is lurking in Loveland. The sweetheart of Ohio, where the disappearance of a strange old man has rekindled the hysteria surrounding America's most alluring cryptozoological phenomenon, the Loveland Frog. Join Luke Honeywell and a smoking bluegrass band on a riotous river adventure with maniacal moonshiners, crooked cops, and the last Twatigi Indian as they rescue Peepaw from the wondrous and elusive Loveland Frog. Sounds like it would have been a hilarious show. And if someone in our audience has seen this show or has access to some of the music or a video of it, please contact us through our email or our Facebook page. I would love to know more about this show. And hopefully it gets a second run. Yeah. It, it needs a second run as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, so now we're getting to our final opinions. What do you think about the Loveland Frog and its possible existence? I actually think they're two different stories, two different beings. You know, the the wizard ones and the iguana ones. I don't think they're together. I don't think they should both be called the Loveland Frog. I don't know what they would be called. So you're going with the Loveland Frog and the Loveland Lizard? Sure. Yeah, let's call it that. Okay. So then we could have had two episodes. We could have. Man! <laughs> All right, so according to Goldie Ann, you got a two-for-one today. Two-for. Yeah? Now, do you think it's an alien? And then where would the second one be then? An actual separate cryptid? I think the second one would be a cryptid, and the first one would be an alien. Okay. Now, for me, yeah, I, I still go with the uh, Loveland Frog being an alien. But that part of its growth from youth to an adult involves the Loveland lizard or iguana as its juvenile form until it grows into the more frogman appearance. I guess that could be. I like tying. I like tying everything in together. Yeah. Uh, I, I like. I want nice, neat little boxes that yeah. answers everything. So for me, yeah, I'm going to tie the two together. That yeah, kind of makes sense, but but it could be wrong. True. Well, uh, being sure to hop out of this story tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. We want to give a special thanks to bensound.com for our introduction music. I do want to add a little bit about social media to this podcast because, again, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help promote the podcast or wherever you subscribe. We are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about the Loveland Frog or any story that you have about the paranormal. You can reach us with our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, or reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter 
Plus, we have an email that is totally dedicated to your stories and your opinions of our, our stories. So if you want to email us, go to within the Mist podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And this is for any of you who would like to share your stories about a cryptid, a ghost, or a UFO sighting. Hopefully, we'll be able to start collecting these in our future episodes. That would be awesome. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Loveland Frog, and we'll come again for another episode next week. Please spread the word to your friends, and hopefully they would enjoy listening to our tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other things that go bump in the night. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely, and perhaps a bit more curious. So this is Gary. And Golly. Golly Golly-Ann. Saying goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.